0: Wonderful. Thank you, Duncan. You're very kind. It is wonderful to be with you guys. We consider you, uh, I guess, a part of our family in King's Church, Revelation Church. is one of the other churches in our little family. Um, and for, I don't know lots of you, you're my family. You're our people. Um, it is Great, even I mean, it'd be much better to be with you in person, obviously, but great, even just seeing the number of screens. I think I've been to Revelation Church once before, two years ago, um, very early days in Duncan's living room, and growth is wonderful. And we love Jesus and what he's doing with you. Um, right. Okay. I'm going to be speaking from Luke chapter seven. So if you've got a Bible with you, it's going to help you to grab that, I imagine, um, and turn to Luke chapter seven. I'm going to read from verse 11. We're going to look at when Jesus. Um, happens to wander by something that's going on, and meets two people, and utterly changes their lives, and kind of reveals, I suppose, his gentleness. Um, but we'll we'll see that as we go on. So I'm going to read from verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. Oh dear we'll spend a lot of time in those words. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen amongst us and God has visited his people and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So Jesus is Um, traveling along with a great crowd of people who've been following him for a little while. He's come across a town called Maine, which is small, maybe about 200 people, um, and encountered a funeral procession, which is probably a bit of a strange scene, because Jesus' crowd would have been larger than the population of the whole town. Uh, We expect a lot of the town had turned out, but still, this huge crowd has come along to this little funeral procession of maybe 100 or so people. And we see that the way of life meets the way of death and Jesus stops and looks to see what's going on and observes the scene and and understands the characters and and who it is that he's seeing that this is a widow uh, a woman whose husband has died and this is her only son and he has just died he would have died that day they'd be burying him on on the same day that he died and the the crowd are coming out with her making a great noise to show that They have sympathy and compassion for her. Uh, And a number of people will be carrying the son on a plank. He's on a plank of wood, and perhaps wrapped in cloth. And Jesus and the crowd, they stop. And witness, I suppose, her being culturally orphaned, this widow. That's that's what it would be like for her. There's no one to look after her. There's no welfare state. Her husband has died, which means that her son would be the one who would look after her in her old age and make sure that she's cared for and the town are in grief on her behalf because in some ways her life is over as well because they won't be able to look after her they won't be able to provide for her uh, and neither can her son so her life is is to some extent over in her son's death everything has ended for her so they grieve with her and then Jesus takes the initiative, he walks, he doesn't just stop and respectfully to witness, he walks towards the funeral procession and he speaks to the woman and he says, do not weep, which I think depending on the tone could sound quite harsh, but he's, it, it's not intended as that, he, he's encouraging her that the reason for her crying will end, he's comforting her and speaking of something that, that he's about to do. And he approaches the man, which is uh, a verb in Greek, which always shows Jesus is about to do something. He never approaches people without acting. If it says Jesus approaches, it means he's about to act, which I won't spend much time on this thought, but it's actually great news for us because it means that whenever Jesus comes towards us by his spirit, he will act and he will change something and he will reach into our hearts. And then he comes up to them and he touches the beer. That's the name for the plank that the man's placed on. Let's just pause there. He touches the beer. Now, which essentially means he's touching the dead body. For us, that might, we might just think it's a bit icky. It's a bit nasty. We don't, uh, we don't particularly encounter dead bodies. I've never seen a, a dead human body. That's probably true for most of us. We live in an age where we, we keep those things away from us. Um, I think probably the largest dead thing I would have seen would be a fox by the road, Um, or we have a cat, so I frequently deal with small rodents, but that's about as close as I would frequently come to death. And I imagine that's true for many of us, even if a family member dies, it's all sort of shut away and we don't encounter it very directly. Now in, in their culture, what Jesus has done is more shocking, but not because it's maybe a little disgusting, but because they would understand that when you touch something that's dead, the death transfers. This is the sort of Jewish way of thinking. As you touch something that's dead, you become dead, ritually speaking. That's the kind of logic that's behind lots of the Old Testament laws. If you ever wondered about the food laws or anything like that, it's all about when you touch something, you its properties kind of get transferred to you. So to touch a dead body would be to become ritually dead dead in the sight of God there's something that you did not do you're very very careful that you do not ever touch the dead or anything that's dead but Jesus walks up clear as day and reaches out and touches the dead body touches the young man but instead of Jesus becoming dead instead of him receiving death the man receives life the very opposite happens to what all the crowd would expect and they see this great teacher come up and touch him and think, oh, my word, what he's doing. He won't be able to go to the temple. He can't pray. What's he doing? It, instead, the opposite of what they expect happens. He gifts life. And you see, Jesus is not afraid to touch him. And that's the same for us. Jesus is not afraid to touch us. See, so when we the same is true for us as would have been true for Jesus. When we touch dead things, we die. Now, you might think, well, I, I, I don't touch dead things. But when we touch spiritually dead things, we receive spiritual death. So when we sin, we die inside. When we do things that are against the way of Jesus, when we do things that the Lord tells us we shouldn't do, when we don't live according to the way he asks us to, we, in a sense, we die. And yet Jesus is not afraid to touch us because when the one who is life himself touches death, we find that he doesn't die, but death does. And life springs up in the man and also in us. He's not afraid to touch us, which I must admit sounds a bit odd in the era of COVID, doesn't it? Because we're being told that we shouldn't touch anything or anyone and that's good advice and wise. And yet Jesus remains the one who will continue to touch us and to reach out to us. So he touches the young man, and then verse fifteen. And I think these words are incredible. He, he speaks to him, "Get up!" And the dead man sat up. <laughs> the dead man sat up. I mean, if we're used to the Bible, well, like, of course he meets a dead man and they get back to life. which is what happens. Happens all the time. He raises loads of people from death to life. But that's, that's incredible. The dead man sat up. There's a world in those five words. <laughs> the dead man sat up. How can A dead man can't sit up. And yet that's exactly what happened. This guy was clearly dead. They all knew he was dead. They weren't mistaken. They knew how a check. They were about to bury him outside the town. Jesus comes up to him and he sits up. just want to put yourself in the position of the reaction that you would feel. If you saw someone clearly dead, no, he's dead, his whole life's over, and the widow's life over too, essentially. And he sits up, and you'd be terrified. You'd be deeply surprised. I think we can we can miss the shock of it. Um, we've got some plasters in the house today, and they were asking me a little bit about what we were doing this morning and asked what I'd be preaching about. And I shared this story with them. And at the point I got to saying, the dead man sat up, um, they responded, in, well, I won't repeat precisely what they said, but an expression of great surprise, which I thought was actually a really appropriate thing to say, because it's shocking and really good news that when Jesus reaches out and touches us, life fills our bodies, life fills our hearts, life fills our spirits. He's not afraid to touch us. And he restores the son's life and in so doing restores the widow's life as well. And he can restore your life too. Whatever state we find ourselves in today, we all need restoration. We all need our hearts rebuilt by Jesus into a better image of God. We all need a touch of life from him. We all need freedom and we all need uh, love poured out deeply. Because you see, Jesus is for the defenceless and for the desolate. Jesus is for the weak and for the widowed. Jesus is for the alone and for the abandoned. Jesus is for sinners and sufferers. And therefore, Jesus is for you and he's for me. Wherever we find ourselves, the very darkest places of our situations or of our hearts are the places Jesus wants to come to and touch and bring you life whether they're things that we've done to ourselves in our sin or the things that others have done to us or situations have done to us they're the places Jesus wants to come to and bring you life and change and restoration and make everything new again and he's never afraid to do it he's never off put he never holds his nose at the smell he reaches out to touch us he's not afraid to do it, and he, he won't ever be. Which means that this morning, in whatever your deepest and darkest places, and we all have some, sure, I'm sure they're all different, but we all have some. He, he wants to know you, and to touch you, and to say to you, I say to you, arise, and the dead bit will sit up, and everything will be different. And we all need that again and again and again and again as every part of our hearts gets transformed to be more like him. But that means that we all need it this morning. But it's also what he does, it's his MO, it's the kind of guy he is the gentle one who reaches out and says, I'll touch you. And everything will be different after that. And then the crowd responds in great surprise, saying, A great prophet has arisen. And if we're reading this, we might kind of wonder exactly why they think that's, that's their response. Um, and reading the Bible can sometimes be a little bit like that, where we sort of feel we know most of what's going on, but we, maybe we're missing a few details. I think it can be a little bit like I don't, if you ever watched an American sitcom and um, someone makes what sounds like it's meant to be a joke. Perhaps it includes somebody's name. You don't know who they are. But you just don't get it because you don't get the references. Or the timing makes you think clearly. I'm supposed to laugh right now, but I didn't find it very funny. I it just didn't click with me. I think I, I certainly find that watching sitcoms from other countries. But I, I mean, maybe you find it listening to Duncan's preaching. He's making jokes, and you're not quite sure what's going on. It's because he, he disappeared from the screen. I wanted to make sure he was still there. That um, <laughs> made him laugh at least. Um, this is the problem with Zoom. When you don't get reactions, you just you feel that you need to play up until you can see something. Anyway. But that's kind of sense of not being entirely sure what's going on. So I think in this passage that I've read to you, there are two echoes of scripture that Luke would like us to catch, and I suspect most of us didn't notice. So I just want to draw them out so that we see both of them. Now, the first one is that this is, we're very clearly told, her only son, not just her son, her only son, which, yes, shows us how dire her situation is, the widow, But that means it's an only son who is raised to life. Luke is, like he does throughout his gospel, seeding hints of what's to come. He wants us to know where he's going. An only son is raised to life. Just like Jesus. He wants us to see that God's only son is the one who's raised. So Jesus finds an only son and he raises him to life. In the raising of this young man, we find God's promise that his own son will be raised after he's died on our behalf to fight evil and defeat it and to allow all of the dark places in our hearts to be brought to new life when Jesus touches us the only son is raised these you might think that's just a little detail this stuff is never incidental in scripture always deliberate the writers know exactly what they're doing we're supposed to think hang on an only son oh yes because the resurrection is the reason that this man gets raised yes it is the resurrection is the reason that new life comes to my heart yes it is and the second one they talk about a prophet their reaction immediately the crowd is like oh, well, this must be a prophet because they're noticing something the crowd they know the old testament really well because they're um the jewish people they're familiar with the stories and they're familiar with two characters that you find in one or two kings a man called elijah and a man called elisha who were both Prophets in Israel, the northern kingdom at the time, both of whom separately encounter a widow whose son has died. And both of whom discover that the widow has nothing else and is completely bereft without them. And both of whom raise the son to life. And so the crowd are thinking, I have heard this story before. And then what Luke wants us to do is notice that there are a few differences between this story and what happens with Elijah and Elisha to help us see something about Jesus. So. Jesus took the initiative. Both Elijah and Elisha had to be asked to raise the son. In fact, certainly with Elijah. He goes up to the widow and asks for food. And she kind of says, oh, okay, I haven't really got any, but sure. And there's a miracle involving lots of food. And then the sun dies and she has to go to him again and say, can you do anything? And he he prays to God and the sun is raised. No one asks Jesus. He just comes. No one asks Jesus. He, He just brings new life. And Elijah, in order to raise this son, had to speak and act three times. He had to say three things, he had to lie down on top of him three times. Elisha, Elijah's disciple, had to speak twice and do an action twice. Jesus speaks once and does nothing. And the man sits up. We're supposed to, as readers be thinking, hang on, Elijah and Elisha were quite something for Yahweh. Who, Who is this one? no one asks him and he just speaks and exactly what he says happens and the town they say a great prophet or possibly in the greek a new prophet has arisen there's some stories or predictions prophecies in the old testament that there will be a greater prophet to come and they're sort of thinking hang on is is this him is this the one we were told be better than Moses, better than elijah better than elisha is this the one we're expecting and then the next passage in Luke right after this, it starts talking about the disciples of John the Baptist who all the Gospels connect with Elijah. So Luke is wanting us to see, don't just think Elijah, particularly think Elisha, the one who came after Elijah, like Jesus is the one who comes after John the Baptist. And what do we particularly know about Elisha? And I don't know how many of you know this story, but after Elisha had died, he was buried in a tomb. And the men have a fight outside his tomb and one of them kills the other and the man falls backwards and falls onto Elisha's bones and then gets up again, restored to life. Because you touch Elisha's dead body and death can't stick. You touch his dead body and his death brings life. So Luke wants us to think, hang on, this is one better than Elisha, the one whose death brings life. And this is an only son who will be raised. Luke is like he does in almost every passage, in his gospel, weaving in the story of what Jesus is about to do and telling us that this is the one whose death will bring life to us. The way Jesus can touch us and bring life is through his death and through his resurrection. He wants us to see that this is the new prophet promised in the Old Testament. This is the one whose death will bring life. This is the only son who will be raised. And think, wow, and I don't even have to ask him. He just approaches and touches my dark places, and fills them with light. Wow. And in the resuscitation of this young man, hope breathes into our own hearts. In the unexpected free gift given to the widow, we see the unmerited free gift of life that Jesus offers to every single one of us and keeps giving us day after day after day And in Jesus' fearless touching of dead flesh, we see his fearless touching of our own hearts and our own sin, and discover that he's the one who is for us and always will be. And he's the one who loves us and he always will. And he's never gonna be afraid to reach out to us. And he's never gonna be afraid to change us. We can't put him off. He won't hold his nose. He's not disgusted. But his arms are always open wide to embrace all of us and to change us to be more like him. What a saviour. Isn't he wonderful, friends? I think he's wonderful. (laughs) And our right reaction there is to go, wow, Jesus is amazing.